Welcome to False Bottom Girls, a podcast about the wonderful yet sometimes confusing world of beer and brewing. Hi, I'm Rachel Hudson, owner of Pilot Brewing and an Advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair, sensory expert, home brewer, and Advanced Cicerone. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of False Bottom Girls. Rachel, I know that you're not on Instagram yet. Not yet. I need to do that. But are you familiar with the account called Landon Talks, where it's a guy who's in the American South who talks about like Southern culture? No. Okay. It's really, really funny and has somebody who's lived most of my adult life in the American South. There are so many things that like I forget aren't normal other places until I go and, you know, and one of the things I notice the most is when I, uh, like I tend to touch people when I'm talking to them because in in the South, people do that. And then I'll like, you know, like go to touch somebody's arm when I'm talking with them, they kind of jump and I'm like, oh, that's right. That's right. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not in Georgia right now. Or, you know, like people calling me like baby or honey or sugar. Mm. I don't like, I, I don't bat an eye at that because that's just what people do down here. So anyway, Landon talks. He does, you know, all of the all the different Southern things. And some of it is not just Southern culture. It's like, you know, on Thanksgiving, like he did a whole thing about like having a cousins meeting where it's like, okay, like during the um, during the commercials, that's when like the young cousins, this is when you do your dances and your cartwheels and whatever. This is where you show stuff off to like distract everybody from whatever commercials on because you don't want the uncle to start talking about things you don't want him to talk about. <laughs> and like if all of the older cousins leave when they come back, don't ask them what they were doing or where they been. <laughs> like one day you will be an older cousin and you'll find out. <laughs> but one of the things he did was talking about deviled eggs. And he said, uh, like, okay. We're going to talk about deviled eggs and we all know how to be kind, even when we have opinions. So we're going to be kind in the comments. And when I watched that reel in my mind, I thought, this is Rachel. When we talk about haze in beer <laughs> and hazy beers is that we know how to be kind, even when we have different opinions. <laughs> I don't know if, if our listeners know um, anything about how much you dislike hazy IPAs with I don't think you've ever mentioned greatness. it no I don't think I have I don't let think me, let have. me uh if, okay let me, okay I will give you <laughs> like 15 seconds to get it out of your system well the thing is <laughs> is that I don't mind like an appropriate small amount of haze like I'm not on here like it must be the clearest thing in the world it's when it looks like a goddamn glass of orange juice um, with hot particles falling down the side of this glass. No, that is not okay. It's when it tastes like grittiness and astringency and you get the hot burn. And why? Just why? You're wasting your hops. You don't need to be throwing all your hops in there. You're, wa you're just wasting money. And then you're putting 15 different hops in there for what? For what? For what reason? You don't know what this is going to taste like. You don't have any sort of insight into what Galaxy mixed with cashmere, with Amarillo, with the new cryothiol Luplin T9045 blend hop oil extract max. You don't know. <laughs> Sorry. 
if I went over 15 seconds. <laughs> that, was, that was like the longest <laughs> adjective. That was perfect. Oh, man. Old man yells at hazy IPA. Yes. That was, no, that was Just absolutely brew a hoppy perfect. wheat beer. You know, I have a fruited wheat beer on draft right now that I sell to the Hayes Bros and they love it. Why? Because they just want a glass of orange juice. Is it actually just orange juice? Yes. Seven fifty a pint, baby. You have orange juice on tap. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Carbonate listen, like, they price orange juice like gold at most restaurants. So that probably yeah. seven fifty for a pint so, glass is probably a deal. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> I'm gonna concentrate. I'm gonna like water that shit down. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so some Kolsch. I will add, since we're just on this um, kind of hazy hate train really quickly, um, this is not so much that, but it's more of a Haysbro kind of uh, indictment. A few years ago, I was judging at a competition, and the guy I was judging with was really into hazies. Like, he's one of those, like, he is a haze bro. Yeah. And, you know, when I meet somebody... I don't know. I won't, I, I guess I won't go too far into it, but it's a little bit of like a beige, beige ish to beige black red. Yeah. <laughs> that um, if somebody's just like, yeah, I'm a beer judge and my favorite beers are hazies. I don't know. I don't I'm know. Like, how those are you 21 relate. years old? <laughs> right. So he, when we were judging, because as you know, in most competitions, like the IPA categories are the most entered. So whether you like them or not. Yeah you are going to have to judge some kind of IPA iteration at a competition. And we ended up with hazy IPA because that's, I don't know why the BJCP decided to say hazy IPA instead of New England IPA or hazy juicy like the BA did, because I yeah. think that makes a lot more sense. Nobody asked me because I'm not <laughs> a dude, but that's just my <laughs> opinion. But he, we were judging and he was like, yeah, um, I like I said something about this beer has terrible hop burn and he's like well you know like I drink a lot of hazies and as a hazy drinker TM I like I like the hop burn I think that's an essential part of the character and I was like that is not in the guidelines it's not we are not doing this we are not making that allowable and I was like no hop burn is a fault and like that's totally fine if you like it like i yeah i don't, mind, what you like. I don't mind diacetyl sometimes in certain beers like it, it can add to the flavor but yeah it was like it's not it's a it's a flaw and i understand that to me it's very clearly a flaw which to him it's very clearly a benefit of the beer so like m- you know my word is not stronger there than his is but then at world beer cup judging in the BA guidelines, if I remember correctly, it does specifically say that hot burn is a fault. Um, And I I remember having that conversation at our table where like all of us judges were were like, no, hot burn is not allowable. And it's like, it is a flaw. So hopefully the rest of the industry continues to to agree with me. Uh, But, but judging is not what you think it's about how it fits to the guideline. You are right. not the master of anything. You do not fo- like have some sort of understanding better than the- anyone else here. Read your fucking guideline. Yeah. And that's also why I think it's, I encourage people when you're entering 
competitions as a judge, most of them will ask you to pick which styles you like to or which ones you don't. And I've, I have judged with people who are like, I love IPAs. All I drink are IPAs. So I'm judging only IPAs. And it's like, you're not a good judge of it, though, because you like it. So there's already like a hedonic element Mm-hmm. And you're comparing these IPAs to what you think yeah, an IPA exactly. should be, not what the guidelines are. And there's definitely, there can be some overlap. But I think as a judge, you have a much better experience either judging a category where you don't like the beer because you can be a little more objective about it. Or, you know, like it's it's fine if you love IPAs and you want to judge the IPA category because yeah, I don't want to, I always, I always say expert. don't put me in the IPA category. Yeah, so same. somebody needs to do the... <laughs> the Lord's work of judging IPAs. It's not going to be me, (laughs) but just doesn't make you an expert just because you drink a lot of IPAs. Right. I would argue if you're a haze bro, you're guess what? Less of an objective Drink a lot of beer. Right. We're here because of different reasons, not because we are fucking alcoholics. Okay. So calm down and read your guideline. (laughs) Anyways. So haze. Haze. We clearly have opinions about haze. <laughs> so all of that to say. I can't wait to drop that line on someone who says that to me next. I'm going to be like, <laughs> oh, you drink a lot of IPAs. I'm like, just because you're alcoholic doesn't make you a master about judging IPAs. So <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah. sorry. So, he got me all riled up. I know. I'm I, sorry. I expect me to calm down. <laughs> Well, I, this topic came to mind because while Rachel and I were in Chicago the week before the master exam, uh, like the one night we actually went back to study, which you studied most nights. I did not. Um, I watched, I watched Love is Blind, Um, (laughs) but I got a hair that we're going to be asked about haze. And this is if you're if you've studied for an exam, any kind of exam, you know how this goes, where you're just like you get a topic in your mind and you cannot get it out of your mind. Because to me, I was like, we're if we get a, a question about haze, like I don't know anything about haze. I know you, you freaked me out with that, too. After you had your freak out while we were in Kansas City, <laughs> brought it up and I was like, fuck. And I like uh, I went and looked it up real quick. <laughs> like yeah. that was going to save me. Right. Yeah. And, you know, but it's also good just as particularly with things like advanced and master, it's not so much about passing. It's about understanding those concepts. And so for me, like having to freak out about haze is really good because that is kind of one of those basic things. And I'm like, well, somebody came up to me right now and said, what causes haze? I I would be like, oh, I I don't know. Beta glucans, I guess. Wheat? Yeah. Right. And it's like, like, what's colloidal stability? I'll be like, I don't know. And, you know, just stuff like that, where it's it's just one of those topics where it's like, oh, I can't succinctly yeah. describe this, which obviously it happens more sneakers. often than you realize when yeah. you're studying for master's. You know, so. you know that I can't succinctly do anything. So, yes, with and it, it's what we've talked about is like going back to starting every essay with beer has four ingredients, you know, and like we joke about that. But thinking about like, you know, that's why I wrote the foam article. If somebody asked me about foam, I I would maybe fumble through some things, but I couldn't actually say this is what it is. 
And it was the same thing with Hayes. Like if somebody says, well, what, you know, or one of the essay questions is like, oh, your, your brewer wants to make this clear IPA hazy. What are three ways they could do that? Yeah. And, you know, what would the results be? Like stuff like that, where it's like, you need to have those foundational blocks to be able to answer that question. So that's where we were with Hayes because like Rachel was sitting at the table doing her studying and I was sitting on the couch trying to like learn everything I could about Hayes <laughs> and we had agreed, okay, we're going to study for a little bit and then we're going to go to dinner and at dinner, we're going to tell each other about what <laughs> learned. And of course we get to dinner and we're both just like, fuck that. Like, yeah, it was the last thing we want to talk about. <laughs> yeah. We just want to drink. We want somebody to bring us hot food uh, but I do believe that I still ended up telling you about Hayes over over dinner. Um, I forgot yeah, what your topic you, was going to be. You did because then I was like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> <laughs> what my topic was going to be? What I told you about last minute? Yeah. No, I no, I forgot when we went to dinner that night. You had been working oh, on something else. Like fuck, I don't know. Yeah. Like maybe like clarification methods or something. I don't know. Shit. Who knows? Right. Is lost to time. But these are where the Hayes notes came from. And, it, you know, it's one of those things that, like, once I started breaking it down, it was like, oh, okay, now I understand. this makes sense. And yes. Yeah, and one of important. the reasons why I thought about Hayes, too, was in our uh, Roxa course, we were talking one day about one of the samples and, like, its clarity or its color or something, and I held it up. And held it at a 45 degree angle and dr simpson was like well yeah at a, that's the invisible haze and i was just like okay i don't know what that means yeah because like invisible haze sounds kind of funny and we'll get to it like we'll, yeah we'll get to what that means but then that was another thing in my head that i'm like oh wait what does why is what is invisible haze at a 45 degree angle and that's like we'll find out that's exactly what invisible haze is um, but it also like learning about Hayes and him saying that specifically has also changed the way that I evaluate beers because I, you know, I like most of us, you know, and you've got all the pictures of all the people holding up the glasses and looking at them. And a lot of times I, I'll tilt it and I don't do that anymore when I'm when I'm evaluating clarity because of what we'll talk about with Hayes today. There are two types of Hayes, invisible and visible. And another thing that I really like about Hayes, and so all, almost all of my information came from the Clarity book by Charlie Bamforth in that, um, in like the NBAA Brewers Handbook series. But I really like when concepts can just be broken down, like like a kind of like a dichotomous key, you know, where it's just like Hayes is invisible or visible, and then it kind of breaks down farther and breaks down farther, and it's very clear. Ha, huh, it's very clear once you learn the concepts, what these things mean. Like it's just, Hayes is a lot easier to understand than I expected it to be. Yes, so exactly. With invisible haze, that's what happens when very small particles that are not visible to the naked eye, uh, when you're viewing the beer at a 90 degree angle. Um, so I think I said 45, but yeah, if you hold the beer on the angle, you're going to see haze that you're not going to see when you hold the beer upright. 
And those are, um, that happens because those particles scatter light disproportionately at the 90 degree angle that traditionally it was how they would measure turbidity in beer. And the, you know, so the old ways of evaluating haze were, or turbidity were incorrect because you were, you would get, if you hold your beer at that angle, you'll see particles that aren't actually there. Like they, they are there, but it's more of like an optical illusion kind of thing. So you would get these turbidity readings that were off the charts, but then you look at the beer and you're like, but this beer is clear when I hold it like this. So why is it telling me that it's super, that, that it has a lot of turbidity and that is that invisible haze. So that invisible haze will give the like unacceptably high haze values. So the best way to avoid kind of accounting for invisible haze is to view the beer straight on. So, you know, you just pick up the beer and you hold it in front of you and evaluate the haze that way. And that's mm. also one of the that's reasons why. That's the more why... accurate way to right. evaluate. So it's not like saying like, it's not saying, oh, ignore visible haze. It's saying the more accurate way to assess haze is by doing that because the invisible haze will give you an inaccurate. Correct. Vision. Right. Exactly. So if you're, yeah, if you're evaluating. Judge it inaccurately. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're evaluating beer for clarity, the best thing to do is to hold Mm. it directly and look, you know, directly into it. And that uh, also like that measurement of holding it at the 90 degree angle, that was something that was like a lab test that they used to do and then realize like, oh, it, you really need to view it straight on, not at an angle because this is because of this invisible haze. So it used to be like that changed the way like larger breweries, breweries with full labs would do turbidity was okay. Stop doing it on an angle, start looking at it head on when you're evaluating clarity. There's still, I think there's still value to, you know, evaluating the beer on the angle. I'll use that a lot of times when I'm um, evaluating color, mm-hmm. because if you hold it on an angle, like as it's getting the, yeah. closer to the edge of the glass, you can see the color a little bit more where like, if you're looking at it straight on, it might look black, but if you tilt it a little bit, then you can see it's actually dark brown or, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of red exactly. or something like yeah. that. So there's definitely still value to tilting your beer, but if we're evaluating clarity and haze specifically, evaluate that straight on. So invisible haze has four main causes, unconverted starchy endosperm in poorly modified malt, which most of our malt today is very well modified. So that's not really a concern. Uh, Cell wall material from stressed yeast uh, subject to excess agitation. And we kind of talked about the cell wall material in our flocculation episode. Uh, Glycogen released from yeast and presence of retrograded starch. Don't ask me what retrograded starch is. I don't know. I just wrote it down. And I'm realizing now I should have probably looked that up. Um, So when starch is in retrograde, uh, you're going to get invisible haze. So that's what invisible haze is. And obviously it's a bit of a misnomer, but just know that that's what shows up. If you're viewing the beer on an angle versus viewing it straight on, um, you're going to get a kind of a skewed reading of how much haze there is if you're looking at it on an angle. So then we move to visible haze. And visible haze can be broken down into biological or non-biological. And it's going to be evenly distributed throughout the beer. 
biological haze is turbidity caused by microorganisms. Uh, and beer will often have accompanying off flavors. So, you know, if you've got like some kind of dirty draft line like that, you know, you could get uh, turbidity from that if your beer's infected. That's where that biological haze is coming from. And it's not going to be only in a vacuum. Like you're not just going to have a hazy beer and be like, oh, this is biological haze. You're going to have like, you know, acidic flavors in it mm -hmm. from whatever those microorganisms are. So you'll have other indications that something has gone wrong with the beer than just haze. Yeah. But if you're expecting your beer to be clear and then suddenly it's very hazy, that seems to me like it's probably more likely that you have some sort of biological uh, contamination in there. So then non-biological haze is turbidity not from microorganisms in the beer, but rather it has a lot of different causes. So like I said, a lot of people will like, and I was one of them, immediately like what causes haze? Oh, beta-glucans. Beta-glucans do cause haze, but what we're really seeing in haze, in non-biological haze is going to be um, pentasans because those are not as efficiently degraded during malting and brewing. So pentasan is present in this barley cell walls and is also has uh, wheat has a higher level of pentasans in that cell wall than barley does. That's what's causing that non-biological haze. Wheat in particular contains more pentasans than it actually does beta-glucans. So, you know, we're always told like beta-glucans is gummy, it's going to cause haze, really is going to be these pentasans. So if your malt is not adequately modified, your beta-glucans can also cause haze. Uh, but like we said, most malt is going to be well modified. And like that beta-glucan level is something that's measured on the certificate of analysis. I don't remember off the top of my head, like what the range is. I want to say it's like less than 11 is what yeah. you want your beta-glucan count to be. If you're trying to make a beer that's not going to be hazy or you're trying to make a malt product that won't be hazy. Um, for both beta-glucan and pitocin, uh, that if you're using something like a centrifuge, you can actually end up with more haze because of shearing forces in that centrifuge. And oxalate can also contribute to haze, uh, but that you can be, you can avoid oxalate in your beer by ensuring there is sufficient calcium to convert that oxalic acid into insoluble calcium. So we've talked about, you know, like oxalate is beer stone that can cause haze, but if you've got enough calcium in your beer, that's not going to be an issue. And proteins, specifically proline, can also cause haze. And lastly, we have polyphenols, which I think is usually what people say like polyphenols, beta-glucans, those are the two things that cause haze. Um, polyphenols can come from barley, from malt, they can also come from hops. And the more hop solids you put in the beer, the more phenols that will be there. And hop, hop extracts, brewing adjuncts such as rice and corn don't have polyphenols. And that's a reason why a lot of brewers will use a bittering extract rather than hops for bittering is just to minimize that amount of hot material that's in the beer. So you're going to have a clear beer if you're using something like a, a hot iso extract rather than bittering 
like hops for bittering. And that's also, you know, why a lot of people will like put hops into, you know, active fermentation is to kind of get that haze and to get those polyphenols in the beer if you're making a hazy beer. Mm -hmm. I've seen some breweries even just go ahead and dry hop at knockout. Mm -hmm. So dumb. (laughs) Hey, I've done it. I've done it before. I'm just going to tell you that I... I, I have I have done I'm just saying yeah no it's purple I've done <laughs> adding it at high croissant I've tried it all I actually one of the beers that I tried to make as a hazy IPA I had a maltster send me this um, he called it Fruitopia pale ale malt and it had like this very fruity like kind of like cherry fruit leather strawberry flavor um, it was really really good malt. And I was like, well, I'm going to make a, a hazy IPA with it and use like Eldorado. Eldorado is my favorite hop. I use it in everything. But like really play up that strawberry character. And it ended up being the clearest beer I have ever made. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, it was a really good beer, but I had entered it into the hazy oh, IPA yeah. category, which is also why I think it should be hazy juicy. Um and like after I bottled it and sent it off, like as I was pouring the rest of it off the kegerator, it was the clearest beer I've ever made. Uh, like, man, <laughs> this isn't going anywhere in this competition because it is so clear. And um, we've also heard tell. Um, I do know of a couple of breweries who have done this as well of just throwing flour. No, don't do that. Into the beer to cause a, haze. It shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. Right. Yeah, that's very, um, I don't know, I can't think of a good analogy for it, but that is clearly you, you have no idea what you're doing. (laughs) Or like, you just don't have a scientific, you know what I mean? Like, it's just really, I guess you can try to course correct by throwing flour in there. But like, if you didn't already make a hazy beer, then you're not really course correcting. You're just, I don't know about that. Lazy and like making shortcuts and like it's not it's not the same. And your beer, like you will be able to taste that flower in the beer. Yeah. So weird. So while we're still talking about um biological haze, I'm sorry, non-biological haze. While we're still talking about non-biological haze, that can be broken down even further into chill haze or permanent haze. And chill haze was definitely one of the ones that, you know, sometimes like I would look at a beer and I would hear somebody say, oh, it's got some chill haze. And I like, I understood what that meant that like, as the beer warmed up, that haze would go away, but I didn't really understand like why or, or what was happening Mm -hmm. until I did the research. So chill haze will develop when a beer is chilled to 32 degrees Fahrenheit, but as the beer warms, and in in the book, he specifically talks about the beer warming to 68 degrees Fahrenheit. As the beer warms up, that chill haze will go away. So what's happening is those polyphenols we talked about that can be from your malt or from your hops, the polyphenols will form chill haze when they link together. And when they link together, they bridge two protein chains. So when the beer is chilled, the proteins and polyphenols bind together, but that bind is relatively weak. So it's kind of like, you know, the beer is cold enough that they can like meet up 
uh, but it's not, they're not going to stay together. So when the beer is warmed back up, those bridges dissolve. With permanent haze, this means that there's there's haze in the beer no matter what the temperature. That's not going to go away. And that happens because if you give beer enough time at 32 degrees Fahrenheit, that bond between our polyphenols and our proteins becomes stronger and doesn't break apart when the beer is warmed up. In reading some Top Cop articles that we had mentioned in our last episode on attenuation that our friend Shana writes for them. Topcrop.co. Uh, topcrop.co. It's a yes. Subscribe to the newsletter. It is fantastic. It's my favorite industry newsletter. It is really, really good. They did some experimenting into creating a basically a new product to help with yeast, to help to make these styles, to make these New England styles, New England IPA styles. So what they were able to do is they identified a gene responsible for the dry hop dependent yeast derived haze that you want. Um, and they crossed two other strains. They crossed their um, haze positive strain, the most popular one, and then also with a haze neutral wine strain. So some of the resulting offspring of that cross were haze positive, and they took one of those haze, haze positive offsprings and they continued to back crossing to the haze neutral wine strain. They did this multiple times, and each time they take the haze positive offspring and crossing it into that neutral wine strain each time. So the end result is a haze positive offspring with about 99.2% of the genetics of the haze neutral wine strain and only 0.8% of the genetics of the haze positive yeast strain. They were able to compare the this haze wine, neutral wine strain with the haze positive back strain to ultimately hone on, like hone in on this haze gene. So they're basically taking one strain that's very hazy, one strain that's neutral, and comparing their genes over and over to figure out which is this haze gene. And she provides a kind of a fun analogy. Dr. Laura is like second to Bill Simpson for good analogies. There, I said it. That's my that's my popular opinion. Is this Dr. Laura's um, analogy? Yes. Okay. It's really good. It helps me understand everything I just explained to you. But imagine a deck of cards and then you imagine like a full deck of cards and then you have another card that glows in the dark. So the card that glows in the dark represents the haze gene. When located in the full deck of cards, it allows the entire deck to glow. Okay, so we're going to picture that decks can glow in the dark and change colors. So when you take this purple, we take the original deck of card. Let's imagine it's purple. The purple deck of card, let's imagine the uh, haze gene deck or haze gene card is pink. When you take this purple deck and shuffle it with a different green deck, you'll get one large deck that you can then split in half. These two decks have an equal amount of cards, but only one deck holds the magic card, the haze gene card. Then you take that haze gene card that is made up of or i'm sorry then you take the glowing deck that is made up of the half purple half green card and it's glowing because it has the haze gene card in it and then you shuffle it with the, another full deck of green cards and if you repeat this seven times you get a deck that's almost 100 percent green but still includes that magic glowing or that magic haze gene card they repeated this process in a way where they got a 
whole new strain that produces this that hones in on this haze gene and that's the idea is to basically make a new strain for you new england ipa brewer lovers right i thought it was really cool interesting that is it is super interesting and that's what i really like about um, Omega specifically is that they're very good at putting their research out there. And then they're also very good at explaining the research in a way, especially like on top yes. crop, you know, where it's, is understandable to me because I could see this exact same um, information being shared in like the technical quarterly. And that's mm-hmm. something where I'm like, okay, I, I automatically, like I see a PCR graph or, you know, like a lot of footnotes, and I'm just like, I'm not going to understand this. Um, and Omega know, right? does a really, really good job of putting that information out there Yeah. Uh, in a way that if you're a, not a technical brewer, you can still read it and understand it. And exactly. I find these helpful also to like read through this and then go read the technical quarterly and be like, okay, all right. Yeah. It's kind of like reading the, like the kid's dictionary, <laughs> looking up words yeah. in the kid's dictionary and then looking that up in the regular dictionary. It's like the Hayes then- for Dummies book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, and go read this article too, because there's a lot more that goes into it about, you know, how they tested this, and you know, with sensory and with lab and like how they, you know, different things they did. So it's a really good article. Yeah. And it's, I, I know that I oftentimes feel not, not at a disadvantage because I have the internet at my fingertips and usually like in my pocket, but I'm definitely a book learner and, you know, learning things like learning these breakdowns of haze from the clarity book was really good for me for like definitional purposes, like what we just walked through, like, okay, you know, permanent versus chill haze, that sort of thing. But they're all, most of the literature that's out there, like we've talked about, um, like Escarpment Lab said is, you know, a, an English translation of a German text and some guy's PhD thesis mm-hmm. from the 70s. Yeah. And that's what's in a lot of these books. And I tend to forget that that's where the viewpoint is coming from is like clarity is extremely important. You know, doing this is extremely important because even 10 years ago, it was extremely important. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny to me also to go look back at like old Zymergy articles where it's like, nobody wants haze in their beer. Here's how you get rid of haze. And it's just, it's funny to go back and be like, oh yeah, like 20 years ago, 10 years ago, haze was not good at all because everybody was used to crystal clear beers. And now, you know, haze isn't just acceptable. It's like sought out by a lot of people and it's become its own style or its own sub style. But I'm always... I'm thankful for resources like Top Crop because I, I have found myself in situations where I'll have somebody say, um, like a you know a brewer, a technical brewer, say like, where did you get this information? I'm like, oh, I got it from this book, and they're like, yeah, like that's maybe that was true in like German brewing, and it's just kind of been you know put put forth over and over again, so it's generally accepted. But in my experience as a like a craft brewer, this is how it really works. And I've, I've had that, I recently had that with the concept of autolysis and a, a technical brewer being like, where did this information come from? Because in my experience, like autolysis happens really fast in my 150 barrel fermenters, you oh, know, for sure. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's when I read things about haze, I'm just like, okay, it was in this book and I have to remind myself, okay, this book was written 10 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, like, I guess it's just more for me to be like, hey, you need to be reading what the latest technology yeah. is and not relying only on information from 10 years ago when a lot of the 
the goals of brewing beer were really different. Mm-hmm. And it's going to continue to change too. And that's why learning about beer just doesn't stop. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's when you have like really great companies like Omega who are, you know, like, well, and, what, oh, all these what does call, yeah, yeah. What, what does make it hazy and, and being very open about that research, I think is super cool. Nice. It makes everything clear. <laughs> well, thank it you makes for it clarifying less hazy. this topic for us. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I love it. That will wrap us up on haze, and I feel like we got it all out at the beginning. This was a very, uh, a much more uh, respectable or respectful episode than I think uh, we were anticipating. So I'm, I'm happy <laughs> that we got it out at the beginning. Uh, and kind of set the stage for now we're going to learn some information. If you like haze in your beer, that's fine. If you don't like haze in your beer, that's fine too. There's room for all of us. Well, there's not room for all of us, (laughs) but there's, we, we can accept and appreciate other people's preferences when it comes to haze. Right. 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 (laughs) Well, you're looking at me like you're like, I don't know that I respect. I mean, opinions. like they're fine as a person, probably, unless you're not. Like <laughs> fine as a person. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so we are getting towards the end of the year, and actually, this might be out, not out before the end of the year. So maybe it's the new year. Happy New Year, if it is when you're listening <laughs> to this. You know, we're, we've been talking about what the podcast might look like moving forward. And one thing that we definitely wanted to put out there is if you have topics that you're interested in, or even if there's something that maybe we said in a past episode that you're like, hey, I would like for you to expand upon that, um, please let us know because, you know, we're just kind of out here yeah. deciding on topics and trying to make sure that we're doing Well, we're just being willy-nilly relevant. about it. Very William Vanilla. And I don't, I don't know if we should be. <laughs> so if, if you've got ideas for us or something that you want to learn more about and you would like to hear the two of us talk at you about it, let us know. You can reach us on uh, social media at False Bottom Girls on Instagram and Facebook. You can email us, falsebottomgirls at gmail.com. Um, you can visit our website. I don't know why you would visit the website to, to tell us what topics you want, but you can get to us from there also. You can get to us through the website. Yeah, falsebottomgirls.com. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Jen. And if you can go to wherever you listen to your podcasts and rate, review, and subscribe, I'm told that makes it very helpful for other people to find us. And also, I just like to read your reviews. I always forget about uh, looking at the reviews, and I, every couple of months, I'll go through and read them, and it's really, it really makes me happy to see people Aww, saying yeah. nice things it's super about nice. the It's what keeps us going. This has been False Bottom Girls. And we make the Bruin world go round.